0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Full Frame Podcast. Uh, just uh, just uh, take, stop and take it from the top. Okay. Okay. You ready? Alex Ferrari, welcome back.
1: Welcome. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it.
0: So um, we uh, it wasn't that long ago that you were on the podcast for the first time. <laughs> Um, but you were it was right before um, a bunch of a bunch of things happened, um or mm-hmm. right around a bunch of things happening. But of course you're coming back to talk about your new book, Rise of the Film mm-hmm. uh, which just so you know and so everyone knows, I've already pre-I pre-ordered it about two months or a month ago or two months ago. So uh mm-hmm. mine I'm eagerly awaiting it in the mail. Um but yeah, let's talk. Let's get into it. Let's talk about it. You got a new book, man.
1: Yeah. So the the new book is called Rise of the Film Entrepreneur. It is uh, my method that I created to change the conversation for independent filmmakers. I I believe that the only way moving forward for independent filmmakers to actually make a, a go at this and actually make a career or build a business is the entrepreneurial filmmaking model or the film entrepreneurial model. It's the it, it, the the system that is the system that's in place right now, and it's not really even in place anymore, it is crumbling around us. We all see it happening. And the studios don't know what to do. The big studios doing what they do, and there's, right. and I could talk about why they're doing what they've done and they've changed their business models. But the mid level and lower level and predatory level of film distributors, um they have absolutely no idea. How to generate revenue because the things that were, you know, go-to's are drying up or just changing. And I can give you an example of what happened to the publishing industry, what happened to the music industry, is exactly what's happening to our industry. And if I could give the example of the music industry specifically, back in the day, if you wanted to listen to one or two hit songs, you would have to buy an album. That would cost you seventeen ninety-nine, give or take. Sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less, but give or take, it cost you about eighteen bucks to get access to that to that music. The way that the, the labels were making m- money is that they controlled the access to the art. They controlled the vehicle that you got it in, how you consumed it. They were the middlemen. That's how they made their money. Occasionally singles would come out, but even then it would still be like four or five bucks for a single, right. something along those lines. So then MP3 showed up and then all of a sudden, anyone could access anything instantly. And then Napster showed up and really just threw everything into high gear where you could literally download the entire Beatles catalog in in 30 minutes. Right. And for free, for free. Right. So the studio the uh, the labels really didn't know what to do. They were terrified. They were trying to hold on to their uh, status quo. And they were trying to hold on to their golden goose because they were making just obscene amounts of money. It was just an right. obscene amount of money that they were making. And had been making that for years and uh, they fought, they sued, you know, their customers that were, you know, downloading music. I mean, it was just a bad, bad situation, but they were losing. It's a battle. You can't win. You can't fight technology. You can't fight. Uh, you can't honestly fight piracy. Um, right. It's very difficult to fight piracy, especially at that level. Right. And then someone showed up uh, a, a young guy named Steve Jobs showed up and said, Hey guys, I've got this this MP3 player and it's killing it, man. But people are downloading all your music for free, putting it up on my on my on my, iPhone, on my iPod. So uh, I think you really can't comp- you can really can't fight piracy, but you can compete with it. It's the only thing you can do. So you have to make it much easier for consumers to access them, your music, your product, so it can be done legally and and affordably. So now he came up with the price of 99 cents. And the industry lost their mind. Like, we can't do that. That's like, if you don't like it, good luck. I'm still selling iPods. So it's up to you if you want to do it or not.
0: Right, right.
1: And and the industry had no choice. So the industry was so behind the eight ball on this because they were so against change that they let an outsider, a tech guy, completely take over the music industry, which is what he did. Then all of a sudden, what used to cost $18, now costs 99 cents. Artists used to get a percentage of $18. Now artists got a percentage of 99 cents. So after 70 cents is what you actually took home after Apple took its 30%. Then the studio, then the labels picked up their percentage. So by the time the the the, um the artist got something, now it's like, wait a minute, the game is changing. But that's not even the worst of it. Then Spotify showed up, and Apple Music showed up, and Amazon Music showed up, and now all of a sudden for $9.99 or 10 bucks or whatever. You have all music anytime you want instantly. So you have the largest collection of music ever created for just a $10 access card. So now each song has dropped down to a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a penny. So now essentially music is worthless. It has no no value by itself. The value is in the collection Mm -hmm. of music. So this is exactly what's happening with our industry. Before, The Golden Goose was DVD. And there was a lot of these straight-to-DVD titles. Disney was doing straight-to-DVD titles. Remember those sequels to the Disney, those really bad sequels? Little Mermaid and Lion King, One and a Half, and all that stuff. It was a direct DVD market. So they were making just a gazillion amounts of money with it. But then, Netflix showed up and changed the game. And then that, and all of a sudden, it changed the game. So now the value of content dropped again for our world. The big difference is our content costs a lot more to produce right. than a song, a lot more. So the studios were having problems with. So now for that $12.99 on Netflix, we have access to forty thousand titles and growing. Right. Not cheap crap titles. Good titles. Amazon Prime is free essentially. So if you're an Amazon Prime member and you get free shipping you get all of their movies and TV shows as part of your package, Right. commercial. So there's no value to the shows, to the movies. It's the value just drops dramatically in the consumer's mind. So when was the last time you actually rented a movie or purchased a movie? And we're film geeks, so the question, you might have, you might have actually done it, but how much do you do it now as opposed to how much you did before? Because I look at iTunes sometimes and I'm like, oh, I'll rent that. $7 to rent. Are you crazy? Like it's $5.99, $6.99 right. to rent these files because they know what they're doing. They are try- They know that if you want access to that movie now, you're going to pay for it. But two weeks later, it's going to be on Netflix. right? Or it's going to be on a new streaming service. So they know that the window has dropped dramatically for this way to make money with movies. And that's just studios who've pumped millions upon hundreds of millions of dollars in the marketing into their projects. So, what chance does an independent filmmaker have? There is no chance. So right. I, I literally was at AFM this year at the American Film Market. I was walking around, and because of this whole distributor thing that happened, um, you know, I was speaking there, and I, I got to speak to a lot of distributors and sales agents and people while I was there. And I, I realized, I just I actually just told, asked one of these distributors, I go, you, you guys really don't know what to do. And they're like, no, we, we have no idea. Our main goal is to acquire as many titles as possible for no money up front. We'll then run it through our system, throw everything up on all the platforms, throw everything up against the wall and see what sticks. Because the only value a distributor has is its library. Right. It's not the individual title anymore. It's the library. The larger the library a distributor has, the more negotiation power it has with streaming platforms, with foreign sales. Like packages, that's the only they can't. though the, the one off is very rare now. It's harder to do. Is it being done? Of course, it's being done. But in the independent world, like the real independent world, right. not the action movies with Danny Trejo and Eric Roberts and Michael Madsen and those kind of movies, those are different. I'm talking about like the real independent genre movies, horror movies, dramas, comedies, that kind of stuff. It's 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 almost impossible to do nowadays. Yeah. It's really really And because the game is changing so rapidly, the professionals, quote unquote, have no idea what's going on because the technology is changing so fast. The marketplace is changing so fast. They don't even know what to do. Last year, everybody was talking about OTT, which is over the top, which is basically um, streaming services. Uh That was that was a key word that I kept hearing everywhere last year at AFM. This year, it was Avod, Advertising Video on Demand. That was that's the new cash cow. It's advertising video on demand. It's, everybody's going, that's where the money's being made now. It's advertising video on demand. Transactional is dead. SVOD is still making some money, but not, not a whole lot. Advertising video on demand is, is where the action is today. Where it's gonna be in six months, who knows? That's very difficult for a company to, to do. Like how, do, they don't even know how to do. So that's why when they, when they put out these, these uh, agreements with filmmakers, it's seven years, 15 years. I heard one that was 20 years. They're trying to lock down your movie so they have a chance to make some money with it, which you're never gonna see a dime of it anyway, right. because a lot of these a lot of these deals, uh, I'm gonna say most of these deals are predatory in in nature because the entire industry is predatory in nature. It, the entire industry is built to to fill their own pockets. It's not to fill your pocket as the creator or the artist. It's just the way that biz- it's business. Right. It's in every single art form, from the from a publisher to a label. To a studio, to a distributor, all of them want to keep as much money as they can without having to give you anything. That's basically the business model of the business. Am I wrong?
0: No, you're absolutely right.
1: So for the for for right now, I think it's a great time to be an independent filmmaker and a terrifying time to be a filmmaker. Because most filmmakers have been brought up in the business, being taught the old world model, the old way of doing things, which is the big entry of barrier entry was to make a movie. Like I could just get the damn thing made. That's an accomplishment. Then I can give it to a middleman, that middleman or company to go out, sell it. And then I would get a commission. And that was basically, that was the business model. That was the business model. Right. But now anybody can make a movie. Anyone could make a high quality movie. It's very inexpensive to do. You, you know, I've made multiple feature films under $10,000 that have been sold internationally in to Hulu and, and, and done very, very well. So the, the the barrier entry is not that anymore. The barrier of entry is getting some eyeballs on it. Right. You know? Right. And and the film entrepreneurial model that I created is is a is a blueprint on how to do that. And there's multiple ways of going about it. it. There's not just one way. The film entrepreneurial model, I literally lay out probably 10 or 15 ways that a filmmaker can take a movie and go and make money with it. Yeah. It doesn't all it's not a one size fits all. There's just multiple avenues you can walk down to generate revenue. And the key is to, to control the revenue stream as much as humanly possible. Can you still partner with a distributor? Yeah, there are good distributors out there. You know, I have my films with a, a distributor. They're good, but you partner. You right. don't give, you partner. There's a big difference. How is the how is the deal structured? Is it in, whose interest is it in? You know, is are they on it? There's so many different questions you could ask about how how to pick up the distributor, but if you if you can partner with them, and that's one revenue stream among 20 or 30 other ones that come in, right. off of that same movie, that's the way to go about it. That's the only way to go about it. And I know people are uh, listening right now, they're like, well, that's great, Alex, but how do you do that? It's the power of the niche.
0: Mm-hmm. The
1: riches are in the niches. That is the only equalizer independent filmmakers have is a niche, because the studio is too big to right. go after a niche, it's just too big. That's not their business model. Right. But if you can connect to an audience emotionally because of the tribe that they're in, whether it be political, religious, uh, I'm a surfer, I'm a vegan, I'm a whatever. Right. If you connect with them at at that emotional level, it cuts through all of the other marketing. It cuts through everything. So I I use the example. What is a, a hobby of yours besides filmmaking? Cooking. Cooking. So if you saw that new documentary on Netflix about cooking, that oh, that great cooking show, I love that show too. Um, I love cooking shows like those yeah. like really high end cook chef show. I think it's called yeah. Chef Ta- Chef Table. Chef Table. Chef so chef. the new season of chef, so the new season of Chef Table comes up. How how much faster does that jump to the top of your queue? right? Purely because it's interesting to you and you have an emotional attachment to it. You'll watch Avengers maybe later, you'll watch the Irishman after, but what's important to you is the cooking because that's something that you're passionate about. Right. That is what filmmakers have to do with their projects. They have to create a project with the audience in mind and then building out ancillary product lines, ancillary services, to be able to build out a sustainable business and then replicate it three, four, five, six times. And now you've got a business.
0: Right. What's What has been the response about the book back to you? And then who are you actually, is it surprising who has responded to the book? Or is it exactly who you thought it would be?
1: Um, I think that I, when I wrote the book, I knew it was going to be a nuclear bomb going off. Uh, In someone's head, I I knew it was going to be because it's radically different thinking. It is a complete shift in the way filmmakers think about making movies. There hasn't been anything written like this. There isn't anything like this in the marketplace. So I knew it was going to shake shake the tree a bit. Right. Um, And I know it's going to it's going to depress some people because they're going to go, Oh man, I got to work. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, you're going to have to work a little harder than you used to making a movie. Just the beginning. Right. It's not even 25% of the entire process anymore. That is just, uh, for better or for worse, it's just the way the business is. The response I've gotten has been um, humbling to say the least. Uh, I've I've had a few, you know, big people in the business like uh, Dan Mervish from uh, the co-founder of Slam Slamdance, Chris Gore from Film Threat. They gave me raving reviews. RB from Stage Thirty Two uh, gave me a great review as well. Uh, people who read it, they just go, "Oh crap! This is this is this is a different way of doing it. It's it's so radically different. It's I mean, I, I just I just it's it's really humbling. Honestly, man, I got to say it's humbling because I knew it would make a difference and I knew it would help some filmmakers, but I I didn't know the extent. I didn't expect. Someone to buy the audiobook or the ebook, and then buy it again. Right. Uh, I I didn't expect uh, that someone would buy it. An editor would buy, it, and then they would buy a, a copy of it for their director, who's about to start a new mo- a new movie. Right. Because like you have to read this book before you 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 can't you can't keep going right. until you read the book. That's the response I've been getting. Like, I I, I just got off another interview a little bit ago uh, with a friend of mine who read the book and he's like i'm in the middle of my movie i'm shooting it right now and we're adjusting wow. we're, we're we're shifting the mentality of how we're doing it because they if you don't think like a film entrepreneur right up at the beginning of the, the conception of the project it becomes a little harder right. to apply it because if you make a broad comedy it's going to be very difficult so then you might be able to use the re- regional cinema uh, the regional cinema model where then you're focusing it all towards a region, your hometown, the, the you know area within 40 or 50 miles from your, from where you made it, made it more about that area, about good, you know, you know, local guys doing good, local kids doing good, that kind of vibe. That's still a viable model, and I have a whole chapter on on regional cinema models of people doing that, mm-hmm. um, and doing it after the fact as well. So there are there are ways of doing it, but it's much easier if you think about it before you go. But the response has been—it's uh, been deafening. It really—I really, mean, literally within 24 hours, it was number one on Amazon, and uh, and now it's been staying in the top five since then. And I, every day I check I check my orders, and I'm just like, holy cow, this is people are reading this. A lot of people are reading this. People are talking about it on social media. People are now referring to film as a hashtag. Yeah. Um, it's I, I want it to be. I wanted to be the spark to start a revolution. I really do, because it's what's needed. The old, the old world is crumbling around us and filmmakers are going to be buried alive by the rubble unless they change the way they think. Right. And this book, Hope, starts them on the path. And I've already I've already started getting, you know, stories because I have a lot of case studies. So mm. everything, none of it theory. None of it is theory. There's a lot of the- theoretical books out there about oh well if you did this if you did that every single theory or every single concept in the book is backed up by multiple case studies explaining yeah. exactly what they did how they did including my own case studies of things that I've tried and failed or tried and didn't. I have a whole chapter on how I failed. Yeah. On, on I, a whole chapter on how I failed with my short my fifty thousand dollar short film and explain why I failed why how my first short film was extremely successful my second short film died and I lost a lot of money. But then eventually made it back, and there's a whole other story about behind it, behind that. But um, but yeah, it's been it's been really uh, really humbling, and I do hope it sparks the revolution that we need, man. Because if we don't, we're not going to survive. It's yeah. a, it's exactly what like the musicians.
0: And we talked a little bit about this in the last interview, but there, and what I've been trying to do with the podcast is charting. Um, You know, if you're reading up and you're on no film school and you're seeing all these case studies, you know, it was a couple of years of you just notice, oh, that person's doing this idea over there. And then suddenly there, you know, there's this cross pollination of ideas kind of happening in the ether because everyone, all these filmmakers are reading about all these other filmmakers. But it's funny now that I think your book is now the ground zero okay, we put it in a book now, you know, everybody had their blogs, everybody had their experiences year after year after year. And then suddenly now your book's coming out. And I think the book is what the past five to 10 years of, you know, indie filmmaking has evolved into. And now we have a book, we have a textbook for it now.
1: Right. And, and, and the thing is that a lot of the stuff that I talk about, which you know, there's, there's, a, there's case studies in there that happened five years ago or even 10, 15 years ago, which right. don't apply exactly the way it is. So like the origins of the Film our Method in my world is when I did my first short film, Broken, which I argue is the most talked about short film ever because I never stopped talking about it. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> but that, that little short film, uh, I was able to make for $8,000, sold uh, 5,000 DVDs of it because I created uh, a core uh, like a guerrilla film school on it. It was before anybody ever did anything like that. Yeah. And I self distributed it, and and I still make money with it today. That model wouldn't work today. Like you can't make a short film, put a guerrilla film school on it, and expect to sell that. That's not going to happen because there's just too much in the marketplace now. Right. But the concept of what it is that the the theory behind what I did there, it completely translates and it's evergreen. Understand who your audience is. Build a product for that audience that the audience wants. Provide service for that audience. Provide value to that audience, and you've got a winning combination. That right. you know it's a niche audience. You're building something that they want, that they're passionate about. However, you get it to them, whether it's streaming, whether it's t-shirts, whether it's an online course, whether it's you know a vegan chef movie, uh, whatever it might be, that concept does not change and the technology can come and go but that main concept of niche audience provide value cultivate that audience does never change it it never changes yeah. so and i say it very clearly i call myself out in the book i'll call them <laughs> like i know what you're thinking because i know filmmakers i've, I've, I've known I, I know the psyche of the filmmaker better than most because of what i've been doing for the last 25 years and mind you i'm a card carrying member of that community because I'm a filmmaker. Right. So I know how cynical we are. I know we're like, oh, well, you know, he made, and there's a chapter of, there's a case study about uh, the Polish brothers who made half a million dollars selling a DSLR film on iTunes. Well, that can't be done right now, but the concepts of what they did right. are valuable still. Like right. that moment in time, is like Robert Rodriguez yep. and Kevin Smith. If they show up today, they don't go anywhere. They right. don't go anywhere. They won't get seen. They would be eaten alive by the marketplace. They're the first to admit it. They were at the right place at the right time with that right product, the right movie. Right. It was a window of time. The Scorsese, Spielberg, Coppola, the schools, the, the film school generation. They were at the right place at the right time, and the door was open, and they snuck in. And same thing happened with Tarantino and all the, the, that whole crew in the 90s, the 2000s, YouTube generation, and now where we're at right now. I truly believe is the film entrepreneurial window. There isn't. This is this is the window where filmmakers can make not just a little money; they can make a lot of money, and they can make sustainable businesses. I've seen it again and again for people who've been doing similar things to what I've been talking about for years. And I use those. I use a lot of those case studies in the book, but they they were doing it blindly, like I was. Right. But then when I tell them some ideas, they're like, "Oh, I could do that too. Oh, I could do that. Even if." Even if you get one or two nuggets, and there's a lot of nuggets in this book, even if you get one or two nuggets out of it, it, it I mean, one idea could be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars to you. Right. And that's I, I, that's why I wrote the book. I hope it provides I hope it provides value to uh, to filmmakers out there, and I hope it provides some sort of guide to how yeah. to make it in this new, this new film economy. I, I'm calling it the new film economy because it's just a new way of thinking about making movies. and, right. and the exploitation of the art itself is no longer being is no longer the main way of making money. Right. You have to think outside and this is something that Disney's been doing since 1937. This is yep. what George Lucas did with Star Wars. This is not new concepts, but no one's ever applied it at the indie level. Right. And no one's ever created a blueprint at the indie level. It's one thing to go George Lucas saying, oh, the money's in the lunchboxes. I'm like, that's great, George. But you just, you know, you have the biggest movie of all time. You've got a huge brand. You've got infrastructure. You've got, you know, licensing. You've got all this stuff. How does that help me? Right. And this is what this book is. It's to kind of bring it down to our level. The tools, the products that you can create, the services, the ideas, they're all accessible to anybody at a very, very low cost, a lot of times even for free.
0: Yeah. So we're, let's jump from the book because you've also got a film coming out in January.
1: Yes, I do. I've got um, my movie called On the Corner of Ego and Desire is coming out January 21st 2020 and it is as perfect of a film entrepreneurial book of a, a movie I can I couldn't make it any better. So the film is about three filmmakers trying to sell their movie at the Sundance Film Festival. So if it's not more aligned with my audience, I don't know what else I could do. right. And it's a movie that was shot, Gorilla, at the Sundance Film Festival. While the festival was going on, I shot it in about 36 hours. And, and you know, I talk about it in the book a lot. There's a bunch of case studies on how I'm marketing it, how I'm selling it. By the way, in the book, I'll actually tell you, in the book, in a little, 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 little um, preview, while you're reading a certain chapter about ego and desire, I'm like, so you see, guys, what I'm doing right now to you as you're reading this I'm applying what I'm teaching to you right now. You are being, I've created a product based around a movie that has not been released yet. Right. I've, I've generated revenue off my movie and I haven't sold it yet. It right. hasn't been seen yet. And I've generated money from it. From screening it at the Chinese theater where I sold books and I did a talk and I charged you know, a head to go see it. That was the first time I, I made, I didn't even make money, the, the guys who were uh, screening it were, but I made money selling books that day. Right, right. And, and now I'm making money with On the Corner of Evil Desire before I ever made a dime, wherever, before I even exploited the film. Right. So I even say like, hey guys, here, let me make it easier for you. If you wanna see my movie, just go to this website. And I say, don't hate the player, hate the game. So but <laughs> I wanted, to very transparent about look these techniques are working on you right now because you are the audience that I am you're my niche right filmmakers are my niche screenwriters are my niche people who are interested in this world are my niche so I wanted I wanted to be a real I, you're inside like the phone call is coming from inside the house that is
0: <laughs> <laughs> right right
1: I wanted to, to really crystallize that for the for the uh, for the reader so that movie is gonna be available on Apple TV, on Indi- on um, Amazon, and it's also gonna be exclusively on IFH TV with special edition. So the only way you can get the, com- the director commentary, the behind the scenes gotcha. footage, all the extra coursework that I'm gonna create for it, on how I made it and things like that, will only live on Indie Film Hustle TV, which is my streaming platform, um, gotcha. which, well, so y- do you see like how it all starts to funnel down?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And-
1: and it's perfect, and like, and let me ask you this. So as a filmmaker, if you had no idea who I was, never heard of me, and you just heard about a guy who shot a movie at the Sundance Film Festival about filmmakers trying to sell their movie at the Sundance Film Festival, <laughs> what would you do? Would you be like, I got it. Is that gonna jump to the top of your queue? Oh yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's something that's targeted to you because it's something, even if it's the morbid curiosity, I'm like, how did he shoot this movie? Right. Like I just want to see. I've done this. I've done this. Like I, most of the movies in the '90s, I would like. I just want to see how he made it.
0: Yeah.
1: Like. Yeah. I devoured everything El Mariachi, because yeah. I wanted right. to see like, how did he do it?
0: Yeah.
1: Um. Regardless if the movie's good or not, that's irrelevant. I just want to see how he did. So even on that level, it's there. But it's also a love letter to independent filmmakers. It's a love letter to Park City. Yeah. It's how it's basically best of show and Spinal Tap meets The Player. So it's kind of like this. Parody of how ridiculous we are as independent filmmakers. There's never been a movie like this, uh, right. aimed at independent filmmakers. So my my, and I don't want to call it a superpower, but one thing I do know is when I I understand my my niche very well because I'm part of that niche.
0: Right. So
1: I understand when there's a product that's missing from the marketplace. There is no movie like this. So that's something that's going to draw you in. If it was just another movie about trying to make movies and it was shot here in L.A. Eh, okay, I'll maybe watch it because Alex did it. But even if you don't have no idea who I am, you would watch that movie out of more of a curiosity. Right. And then once you watch that movie, you're now, it's a, it's a marketing for me, by the way, the Indie Film Hostel podcast is in the movie. So it's product placement. That's part of the film entrepreneurial method. Um, so now if you're a filmmaker and you never heard about me and you watch the movie and enjoy the movie, you're like, wait, is this guy has a podcast? He has a website? <laughs> right. Well, let me go in there. And then all of a sudden, it's in the ecosystem. And now I could probably sell books off that. I could probably provide more value to that. Or they could just listen to my podcast for free for the next five years. Either way, I'm providing value to my audience. Whether they want to buy something from me or they want to consume the 95% of the stuff I do for free. It's, it's the business. It's the right. business that I've created. So that's what I'm using the movie for. And I did it for about three grand. So I'm good.
0: After I read the book, I'm going to go and watch the movie. That'll be my birthday <laughs> present to myself.
1: <laughs> I appreciate it. And you, and you can and if you want to sign up to get early access to that, uh, it's at egoanddesirefilm.com. Okay.
0: We'll put uh, all the show notes. We'll put all the links in the show notes so people can click on it. So, let me ask you before we kind of move on to our next topic, the um, Indie Film Hustle TV. What mm-hmm. is your vision for that?
1: So Indie Film Hustle TV, when I first launched it last November, I wanted to be, um, again, that's another product that doesn't exist for the filmmaking community. So I wanted to create a streaming service for filmmakers so they can go and veg out on movies about making movies, documentaries, series, and things like that. But what I've noticed in the last year is I'm now pivoting the Indie Film Hustle TV to be more of an educational platform. Yeah. A real, and I'm calling it, real world film education, mm-hmm. streamed world film education. So it's not just gonna be, you know, it's gonna be a lot of coursework, a lot of like, you know, I got already about a thousand hours of content up there. So the value is insane. Yeah. Like I would kill for IFH TV when I was coming up. There's so much information about there. So there's full-blown full courses. There's still gonna be documentaries. There's still gonna be movies about making movies. There's still gonna be shows and series about making movies or or about about the movie industry in general. But there's also gonna be a lot of coursework, workshops, seminars, and I'm gonna be creating a lot of original programming for IFH TV. So there's gonna be an entire film entrepreneurial series. So I'll be breaking down the book in more detail. I'm gonna be creating mini mini courses on um, micro-budget filmmaking, all that stuff. All of it's gonna live on Indie Film Hustle TV. So I'll be continuously adding things to the collection and creating more and more value for people who buy it or who access to it. And at the moment, it's 99 bucks a year. So it ends up being, I think, was it eight eight 857 or 867 or something like that a month gotcha. for that value is is insane. Yeah. And it is a niche. It's, it's niche. It's for filmmakers. So, if, you know, if you want to learn about screenwriting, you want to learn about filmmaking, you want to learn about the film entrepreneurial model and distribution and stuff like that. Like right now I have interviews going up either this week or next on uh, that haven't been released on my podcast yet. So Mm. if you want to get early access to these interviews with some of these uh, experts, you'll get them on IFH TV. Then eventually they'll be released on the podcast as well, but you'll get to watch them. The only place you'll be able to watch the entire interview and it's entirely on, on Indie Film Muscle TV. So I have a lot of film entrepreneurial guests coming on. One, one of the guys I have on, is Mark Harris? He's amazing. He he's he's got twenty feature films under his belt that he's made over the course of the last ten years. He makes his movies for under fifty grand. His first movie was like two grand or a thousand bucks, wow. and he 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 made about thirty or forty thousand selling DVDs door to door out of the back of his car. He would he would create um he would create a, a poetry reading, and for for whatever twenty five bucks you would get a meal. A poetry reading and a DVD of his film. So he created events to sell his movies. And he's been doing this for years. And then he licenses his films out to cable networks himself. Himself. Oh, wow. he, he he does he does do deals with distributors, but he does a lot because he's built these relationships. He's now licensing films out to BET and things like that. He's in the urban, you know, African American market. So he's making content specifically for that audience. And he lives, I think it's Chicago. Okay. It, Chicago. So let me take Chicago. So, and he's just, and now he's like building a mini Tyler Perry studio. Like he's got oh, to the wow. point where he's actually built out a backlog. Wow. And he's building. He's doing it. So I'm like, oh my god. So, and that's gonna be a killer interview. But that's gonna be up on IFH TV right. uh, in the next next week or so. So these are the kind of things I'm gonna be bringing to IFH TV in the future. And um, I'm really gonna turn it into the number one place for filmmakers who want to learn how to build a business,
0: mm-hmm. how
1: to build, build a career in the filmmaking in filmmaking, in filmmaking, and how to make money with your films. There will be avenues of things of like how to break into the business and how to work the system. But my goal now with Indie Film Hustle and with Film Entrepreneur and with Bulletproof Screenwriting, uh, my brand, is to really focus on people outside
0: yeah. of the
1: business. I right. will always talk to people inside the business. I'll always connect and there's always going to be conversations and education regarding that, but there, there's a lack of it out here yeah. of this other stuff. And I'm noticing that with film entrepreneurs response. People are dying for this information, really want to know how to do it on their own. The best episodes I've ever had on my podcast always are about success stories of filmmakers yeah. who made a million bucks, made a million bucks, made half a million bucks off of, of you know a movie they did themselves or built right. an empire. And things like that. Those are the ones that people really want to listen to. And that's kind of what I, I'm listening to my audience. And I'm going to now provide value to them in that way.
0: So is um are you looking to or have you already um are you looking to bring in other filmmakers to kind of do their own, yeah. you know, courses yeah, I've, or whatnot?
1: Yeah, not? I've already licensed I license content all the time. And I'm looking for other filmmakers to uh, to come in if there are other uh filmmakers out there who want to create courses and have them hosted on IFH TV through either a TVOD or SVOD fashion. That's a conversation to be had. Uh, I, if you have a movie out there about the film industry, I'd be more than happy to take a look at it. Uh, yeah. You know, I I, I know what I know what does well on IFH TV, and what yeah. does well is course is educational stuff. Gotcha. Educational stuff is what really does well in on IFH TV. So I am looking for more of that kind of stuff. If you have an old course that's really good. And you just want to throw it up somewhere else, non-exclusively, cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm open, I'm open. The, the world is going to change yeah. uh, and it's changing. And IFH TV will adjust with that as well. So, But it is something I'm focusing a lot more energy on recently. And, and now it's going to be a, a really big hub for a lot of the stuff that I do. That's awesome.
0: That's so cool. Um, I'm super excited. 2020 is going to be awesome. Uh, I'm going to have so much content to look at. <laughs> I'm going to need to figure out when to put in my educational videos in between my podcasts and in between my reading and in between my Netflix. And-
1: Audiobooks and all that stuff. Oh, <laughs> my
0: God. Oh, man. Um, so it, what is, um, you know, you've got the books out now. The movie's coming out in January. Um, is there the next horizon that you're eyeing or is it going to be kind of taking a break at the beginning of 2020 and then?
1: Well, there's no such thing as taking yeah, a break. Yeah, I know there's
0: no such thing as break, but.
1: No, I mean, as I have a hustle t-shirt and a hustle hat on, so I, I don't, it's not on brand for me to take a break. <laughs> By the way, and a lot of people, a lot of people listening might my go, my God, this guy just doesn't stop. He's going to burn out. I won't burn out because I've been doing this close to five years now. I love it. So because I love the grind and I love doing what I do, and you could hear it in my voice, I'm very passionate about this. I truly care about filmmakers. I am addicted to helping filmmakers and screenwriters achieve, and artists achieve their goals. I think it's artists in general, especially in today's world, are some of the most abused people uh, as far as the business side is concerned. And that's been throughout history. Anytime someone created a piece of art, a middleman showed up and said, I'll sell it. Right. 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 From the beginning of time, right? The the guy who, who drew on the who drew on the caves. He said, like, "I got you. I'm going to set out a line outside and we'll start charging rocks so people can come inside." <laughs> right. you know, that's, I Am I wrong? And like that's just the way it is. But I think we're now in the era of filmmakers and creators completely taking control of them, of of their own destinies and building. And you don't. And when I say building your own business. I want to be very clear about this. I'm not talking about billion-dollar businesses, right. million-dollar businesses. I'm talking about building something that pays your rent, right? that supports your family, and that you get to do. So if you can wake up every morning and do what you love to do and not have to worry about rent, food, vacations, or what other things you want to take care of, isn't that the dream? Right. You know, What's that number for you? Is that 50 grand a year? Is that 100 grand a year? I don't know. It doesn't have to be this grandiose, you know, Robert Rodriguez empire or Kevin Smith empire or Steven Spielberg or George Lucas thing. That's all great. That's nice. That's fine. But for me, I'm just trying to build something up that I, which I have, I've been able to do now in these course of these last five years, to build up a business that supports me, supports my family, puts food on the table. Um, I don't have to worry about paying the rent, which is fantastic, and I get to do what I love to do. And I get to help people. Right. Jesus, I'm living the dream every day. I get to help people, pay it forward, help people survive and thrive and build their own businesses in the the film industry. And I get to be an artist whenever I want. If I wanted to do it, I can go make five feature films this year. If I wanted to, i make them for three or five grand. I can go do that tomorrow. I can make one a month. I could literally go 2020, I'm going to make one movie a month. I could do it if I wanted to. I don't want to i'm good i got so many other things that provide value to myself like this book writing this book was as much of giving birth as making a movie for myself yeah the podcast is a great outlet for me right. the website IFH TV, creating education there's so many other ways that i am now feeding my soul my artistic soul that it doesn't have to be just the i'm diversifying my artistic expression right which is that and you know, as opposed to I only, I just only feature films are the only way to do it.
0: Right.
1: For 20 years, I was like that, but then I decided I decided, no, no, I can do other things too, and still feed the beast, yeah. feed that that creative beast, and that's what I have done. So, as far as the future is concerned, as far as the next year is concerned, uh, I got, I'm going to try to release at least one book, a new book a year. That's oh, gonna wow. be a goal. Okay. If if not two, because I, I I arguably released two books this year. I did Shooting for the Mob and and um, Rise of the Film Entrepreneur. I'm going to do at least one a year. Uh, without, I already have the next three books in my head. So okay. that, yeah, I mean, there's going to be a sequel to the Film Entrepreneur, obviously, somewhere in there. Not the next okay. one, but other books uh, that I want to write um, already outlined in my head. I'm just stopping myself from doing it because um, <laughs> I need to just calm the hell down sometimes. Um, I'm doing the audiobook, the long-awaited audiobook version of Shooting for the Mob. So, right. that is being worked on as we speak. It's like I was saying off air, it's a little bit more emotional for me to do it because of the, 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 the emotional ties I have with this, that story and going back to that dark place in my life and everything like that. And if yeah. people have, don't know what that book is, Shooting for the Mob is about how I made, I almost made a $20 million movie for the mob when I was flown out to LA and I met the biggest movie stars, biggest studio execs, all that stuff while my life was being threatened on a daily basis when I was 26. So it, it's a really difficult thing to go back into. Yeah, I bet. Uh, and I was just, I was actually literally uploading chapters to Audible because I've been listening to some of the chapters I've been reading. So there's a scene where the, the gangster is just just ripping me apart, threatening yeah. my life. And I was listening to myself play the gangster because I, 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 do, I do the voice of, of Jimmy the gangster. And I got scared again. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I, I I just I may, I was very conscious of like holy cow I'm back there again it's really really difficult for me to do that book yeah so but yeah. I'm making a huge effort to just get it done before the year is out I'm going to try to release it sometime in January okay. then I've got other I got other things I want to be doing um, more books uh, more content IFH TV. I'm doing a workshop in March uh, sometime probably March end of March I'm going to be doing the make your movie bootcamp which will be a combination of micro budget filmmaking techniques and film entrepreneur techniques yeah. all over the course of a weekend. So I'll be doing that. I'm going to be speaking. I'll be flying around doing speaking. Uh, I do consulting all the time. So I'm busy, dude. I got plenty to do. There's never a lack of things to do. And I will be having, I might have another website I'm going to build. I don't know. I'm, not, I'm just saying I might, I don't know, maybe. Um. So there, that, that might be in the future as well. So there's a lot of stuff I've got cooking, but um, I feel like I'm getting my um, I'm getting my legs now. I feel like I'm, I'm I'm getting a stride now with this, and I'm I'm going. I'm gonna go hard. So if, if you thought i had been going hard before, you haven't seen anything yet.
0: So when you speak, um, do you fly around the country and speak?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'll fly. I'll fly at um, yeah at, at film festivals, at events, uh, at conventions. Uh, and sometimes just private, you know, like private, you know, people who want me to either put on a show or put on a show, like I'm a, a monkey people would like to go on and like, you know, set up tickets somewhere to, for me to come on and speak and they'll sell it. And it, there's a bunch of ways I do it, but yeah, I travel around. I'm hoping to go to Europe this year. There's a, there's okay. talks. We're in talks of, of going over to England. Uh, so I'm talking to a, a friend of mine out there who's trying to make something happen for me to go out to Europe to do my first kind of talk and workshop. Which would be amazing because I do have a lot of uh, a lot of people who follow me in uh, in England and in Europe. So and I've never been, so that's that would be great. So yeah, but I do fly. And then as far that's for speaking and consulting. I do uh, I do consulting packages uh, for, for post production workflow for um, just coaching.
0: Yeah. Kind of get
1: you through your own own crap. I have tons of episodes on just meditation and how to break through your own you know stuff. Like I had to. So do coaching, consulting, and I do that through Skype. Generally speaking. Wow.
0: Okay. Man. (laughs) The businessman, Alex Ferrari. (laughs) you film hustle, everybody.
1: Yes, I'm trying, Brad. I'm trying.
0: The um, the last thing that we uh, talked about (laughs) offline was um, you know everything going on with the stripper, which basically happened. I mean, a couple days around the first time we recorded and talked to each other. Um, How has that? Um, kind of affected you, affected the business, and kind of affected your outlook? I mean...
1: Well, I, I think that for people who don't know what happened with Distriber, Distriber was a film aggregation company that went under for mis- gross mismanagement of their money. Basically, millions of dollars are missing, and nobody knows where it is. So there's a lot of alleged things that happened. No charges have been filed by, against anybody yet, but... Um, they had a bankruptcy a company come in and it, it turned into a hot mess. I was the one that broke the story uh, originally and because I had inside information. So I decided not to sit down and watch it happen. I said, no, i got to help my community. And I did. And I came out guns to blaring hard. Yeah. And then I was able to uh, get IndieWire, um, No Film School, and Variety, and then eventually the, the Los Angeles Times to uh, pick up the story, and uh, it, it it got it, it grew very 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 quickly. Yeah. And we're talking about thousands of filmmakers who were affected, millions of dollars lost, and even their films are still a lot of their films are still locked up. Right. Uh, behind behind this this mess. So I've been working closely with the the powers that be at uh, Go Digital Distributor, which is whatever that's called now, uh, after the bankruptcy or whatever they're doing the ABC. But um, they, I've been working with them closely to try to help filmmakers get through this. Um, they're not going to get the money back. That's, right. that's just not going to happen because the money's gone. Uh, but it was, a, it was a conversation that needed to be had, and filmmakers needed to understand what was going on. There is a systemic problem with the film aggregation business because film aggregators are forced by the platforms to handle money.
0: Right.
1: It is not their job. They're not a bank. They're not a. They have no fiduciary responsibility. They have no uh, escrow accounts. All the money goes into one account, and that's what happened with distributor. All the all the uh, residuals were coming in that were supposed to go directly back out to filmmakers, and all of a sudden there was things that were oh money is being lost or overspent or mismanaged, and trips were happening and marketing was happening, and they were just kind of pyramid skimming the whole thing. Like oh there's more money coming in to pay that and. And then all of a sudden they got out of hand and the whole thing came crashing down. So there has to be a change and there has to be a conversation to be had. And that starts with the, the, the platforms. The platforms are the ones who dictate this. They hmm. could easily dictate you need to have an insurance policy, a fraud insurance policy in right. order to do business. So if fraud happens, an insurance policy will pay the filmmakers Right. something. There needs to be some sort of fiduciary responsibility by the aggregators. I don't blame the aggregators for the most part because they're just doing what the platforms tell them to do. Right. If Apple tomorrow said, guys, you need to do this, they're going to do it. Right. Period. So that that was problem number one. And problem number two was that a lot of filmmakers would spend $1,500 to get up on iTunes, which is essentially a a vanity platform at this point, because you're not making any money on iTunes. Independent filmmakers are not making money on iTunes unless you drive traffic. Right. unless you happen to be with the drive traffic and that audience is willing to rent or buy it which is very possible and very doable depending on the passion of the, of the audience and the connection you have with that audience but generally speaking if you just put it up there forget it no right. one's renting no one's buying they're all going to wait for prime or they're all going to wait for netflix or wherever else it's going to end up so you're spending fifteen hundred dollars not thinking about what the roi is going to be what is the return on investment right and that's what filmmakers don't think about. This. They're like, I just wanted up on iTunes. I'm like, good for you. Now you have that pretty thing that cost you fifteen hundred bucks, and now you're not going to get that money back. That's right. stupid. So there. So you have to, if you are going to use a film aggregator, you have to really analyze and go, well, what's my ROI? If I'm going to spend four grand uploading my movies to all these platforms, are these platforms going to generate any revenue for me? Right. Or would it make more sense for me to upload it directly to Vimeo myself? Or to Amazon Prime myself, right. and then just only rent it for ninety nine cents, and I get at least fifty cents out of that, right. as opposed to a penny, which is what they're streaming at now, you know. Or sell it for a dollar or and and you know, and people might just pay two bucks for it right. if they like you or support you. See, there's different models, there's different ways of going about it, but that's another problem. And, and a lot of these film aggregators specifically distributor were predatory. They were the biggest marketers. They marketed like crazy. There was um, their head of marketing, Jason Brubaker, was everywhere. Right. And they promoted, promoted, promoting, promoting, promoting it everywhere uh, that we're the way. And the way the distributor was uh, marketing themselves was we are the solution to the predatory film distributors. Right. Their tagline was in profit faster. That was their tagline. So they were. I think they were predatorily marketed. Yeah. They went. They went aggressively after filmmakers to sign them and to get movies in their system because they needed the money. So, um, I you know at the end of the day, I don't know what exactly happened behind the scenes. There's a lot of alleged things that happened. I know the money is mismanaged. That's yeah. obvious. It's gone. But uh, the story's not over with the stripper. It's still going on. It's not going to end next year. There might be some. Some new stuff, new rumblings. I, I might be working on some stuff to, behind the scenes. So we'll see. But um it, it is something that really shook a lot of filmmakers. Yeah. And since I, I truly believe, I truly believe this, and I've said this publicly a few times that right now everyone's having problems figuring out how to make money, including distributors in the film industry, in the traditional old model. Film aggregators are no different. They're just, they're just, a po- they're post houses. That's all they are. They're glorified post houses, providing a service that you're paying them for. That's all it is. But we are in arguably good economic times. So when the next downturn happens, which we're due, something's going to happen very soon. That could be a year, could be two years. But historically, we're going to go through a downturn. This can't last forever. Right. This whole industry is going to be left with bodies. Distribu- distribution companies are going to go under. Film distributors are going to go out uh, film aggregators are going to go out there's a lot there's going to be a lot of carnage Mm -hmm. in the old the old system there's going to be a lot of carnage i'm not trying to scare anybody i'm trying to make a realistic look at this business there's going to be a lot of carnage left if 2008 or worse happens again watch what happened what do you think happened in 2008 do you know how many distributors closed millions of dollars were, were lost never paid out to filmmakers And it's just kind of like thrown up, like, oh, well, you know, it's like a systemic issue. uh, uh, To go on a tangent for just a second. Mm -hmm. How many times have you heard the comment, oh, I got screwed by my distributor? Oh, my distributor never paid me. It is now part of the lexicon of the film industry. It's been that way since the beginning of time. Oh, the studio screwed me. Oh, Hollywood accounting. They even had a name for it, Hollywood accounting, Right. right? I argue that it's, Basically, a Me Too, financial Me Too movement, mm-hmm. because the same thing was happening with Me Too, the casting couch, right? All that kind. Con- that was just the way business was done for decades until something finally happened, and Me Too happened, and and finally people started to say, "This we're not going to put up with it anymore." Right. The same financial raping that the the studios and the distribution companies are doing to filmmakers and creatives needs to change needs to stop this whole concept of hollywood accounting this whole concept of oh the distributor screwed me that's bull crap man like right. who in, in what business does that make sense right there's no other business that that happens in so that conversation needs to be changed and i hope that rise of the film entrepreneur starts that conversation because i got tired of trying to play inside the system i th- i got tired of trying to play the game by someone else's rules. And I had, and then the chips were stacked against me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And unless I got the lottery ticket, which is a lottery ticket. I would never be able to play it and win that game. So I decided to play my own game. I decided to create my own rules and the technology and the environment exists that I can do that. What I'm talking about here does not work in 1980, right? Very difficult to do it back then, but in today's world, it works and will continue to work. From the, for, for the foreseeable future, this is an evergreen concept. Yeah. So if you can build your business, your if you can build your film business outside of the film business, right. you have a fighting chance because they you can't download a T-shirt. They don't have control yet of how to do that right. or online courses or ancillary product lines or other things or services that you that you render out to people based to your niche. There's so many other ways to make money. If you can control those revenue streams that are outside of the business, the whole business could come crashing down. Right. And by the way, the streaming systems—they're not going anywhere. The Amazon, the entire business could go under tomorrow, and Amazon would be alive. You know. Bottom line: there's, right. there's probably two. There's probably two to three studios that are going to survive the next the next downturn. Right. I, in the next five years, there's not going to be six studios. I can promise you. Disney. Survive anything because they're the most diversified company in the space and everyone's chasing them. Do you know how much they made this year? I I
0: can't even imagine.
1: It's it's unprecedented. They did 10 billion in box office. Oh my god. 10 billion in box office. But you want to hear something funny? Do you know how much they made overall as a company? Like net? Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: 70.
1: 70 gross, gross. Billion. Gross. 70 billion gross. Yeah. look at that number, 10%, like not even 10%, 10 billion, 70 billion. So $60 billion was generated outside of the exploitation of their movies.
0: Right. Yeah. You know the like, action figures, games, the costumes, all of that licensing. The
1: parks, the resorts, the cable stations, the networks, the streaming service, which has up to 20 million subscribers now uh, wow. already. So do you do you see how that company is gonna make it? I think Warner Brothers will probably do okay as well because they have a lot of properties. Universal is a close third, right? But Paramount, Sony, gonna have a tough time. Yeah. And in Lionsgate, they're not gonna they're gonna be eaten up by one of the big guys. When Apple wants to buy one somebody because of their library, they're gonna buy. Him. Right. You know, you know Apple could buy Disney? Really? Cash. They're that big. They have, I think it was last I heard, and, and please correct me, anybody listening. But last I heard, they have like about three hundred billion cash, man, in wow. reserves, in reserves. So they could buy Disney at that price, right? <laughs> it's, they're not going to, and Disney's not going to sell. But they could buy, but they could buy Paramount,
0: right? Yeah, they could buy the. They, small. Could
1: buy, they could buy Paramount. I'd argue they could even buy Universal, right? You know, Fox was just sold for seventy-one billion, right? Fox was no joke. Yeah, you know what I mean. Fox is a huge one of the big boys.
0: Well, and you got to believe that the success. I mean, di- you know, the past couple of years have been Disney buying up everybody, you know, one after the right. other, after the other. Well, you got to believe the that the other companies are thinking that.
1: But the, all, but but all the good, all the good um, franchises, have been are gone.
0: Right. Right. You
1: know, they're, they're, now, now, this the search for the new franchise, the new Harry Potter, right? The new book line, the new Hunger Games. Things, that's what they're in search for, but the big is that like Pixar, Marvel, Disney, Fox, yep. I mean, that is do you know how many properties Disney owns now? Do you know how, many, do you know how many franchises they own? Do you understand that they bought they bought um Lucasfilm how many years ago now? Like five years ago? No,
0: no. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. something like that, right? Maybe twenty. They, they haven't even touched Indiana Jones. Right. They haven't touched They haven't touched Indiana Jones one of the great brands of cinematic history, they're like, yeah, yeah, we good. We'll get around to that. Right. That's how many things they have. <laughs> it's, it's so insane. They're like, yeah, yeah, we'll get around to that. Like, why isn't there an Indiana Jones TV show? Why isn't there like another TV show or, or another right. new reboot or new this, which is coming by the way, obviously rebooting it and they're redoing it. Um, but but that's my point. So the 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 landscape that we see now is going to be extremely different moving forward. But Amazon's going to survive because Amazon, when they're buying their movies, they don't care about the movie. Have you noticed the kind of movies that Amazon buys, by the way? What kind of thing? Are they doing strange things?
0: No. Yeah, no, are they're they not.
1: Doing, they're not. They're doing transparent. Right. They're doing botch. They're, they're doing um, the – what's the new one? Uh, oh, God, the, the new one with um, Shia LaBeouf. When he, it's the movie about himself when he was a kid.
0: Yeah, they honey, just that Honey Boy or something yeah, like that.
1: Honey Boy, they just released Honey Boy, uh, the Big Sick, which was that other one. Right. You notice that they're, they're basically indie movies. Right. They're yeah. basic, higher brow. The man, the man in High Castle. They're high brow, educate, really high end writing, high end storytelling. It right. is not aimed at the lowest common denominator. It right. is aimed. At a very high common denominator, which are educated consumers. Why is that? Because educated consumers buy more crap on Amazon. Right. That is their game. It's a loss leader. It's a different business model. Where Netflix, who I think is vulnerable, by the way, yep. because they have one revenue stream, which is subscription, and if that dries up, they're done. Right. While Disney has multiple, Amazon has multiple, Apple has multiple, and all the other big streaming services like ATT and DC, they're they're diversified. Netflix right. isn't, so Netflix has to change their game if they if they want to survive the streaming wars in the long term, in my opinion. But that's my humble opinion. But you see, but you see, they're all using the film entrepreneur method. They're right. all using media to sell products. That's that's because they understand that media, arguably, is worthless, other than a marketing tool, right. which is hard for filmmakers to understand or swallow, but musicians have to swallow it. And and now publishers, the successful publishers are the ones who are doing things outside, right? outside of publishing the book. They're the ones that are doing upsells. They're the ones that have streaming services. They're the ones that have membership sites. They're the ones that are doing speaking. They, they're they using their book as a loss leader because that's how they're making their money. I, I read, by the way, I don't know if you know this or not. Do you know that uh, JK Rowling, the writer of Harry Potter, mm-hmm. She owns the ebook rights to all her books.
0: Does she 100%. really?
1: She owns the ebook rights to wow. all the Harry Potter. Movies. Something she negotiated because once the books got hot, they're like, "We want you to write the next ones." That's fine. This is what I want.
0: Wow! And they
1: have, so she owns so Amazon, the juggernaut that is Amazon, when they sell an ebook, they just click and and direct them to her site which is Harry Potter world or whatever it is. Right. Wizarding. So Marvel, if, or whatever. Yeah, that, that thing on, online, that's her business. Wow. So she owns, and then that way she can also release new stories, new eBooks. And she owns a hundred percent of that. Not to mention the, the royalties from the movies, not to mention the royalties of the parks and all the other things that she has a percentage of. Right. But that is a film entrepreneur.
0: Right. But
1: in the public, that's, she's thinking she's she was super smart that's super
0: interesting smart. though she's only but she's also solidified that's interesting because she's also solidified the revenue that is the um of her talent because she's yes. a writer so she's solidified so the writing and then diversified with all of the other I mean, you know that's an interesting thing
1: and but but she's able to still generate revenue from the actual exploitation of her work as a writer through e-books, that's a product. Right. But all the other revenue lines, it's its not the main one, but because she owns, if you want an e-book from Harry right. Potter, you've got to go through her, Right. That's, still, that's, that's a lot of money Yeah,
0: yeah. that's
1: a it's lot of money in perpetuity. It's, in perpetuity, it's a lot of money.
0: Sure, and it's also one of the easiest, you know, people clicking the button on an e-book instead of waiting for something to get delivered. I mean, she's, you know, that's so interesting. Very, I didn't know that.
1: I didn't know that. Either. I was shocked. I was like, what? <laughs> and by the way, you know, she was the first billionaire to ever be knocked off the billionaire Forbes billionaire list because she gave away too much money. Uh,
0: I didn't know that either.
1: She was, a, she's, she's the first billionaire on the Forbes Pop hundred billionaires yeah. to lose her status as a billionaire because she donated too much money. She's wow. like, um, I'm good, guys, I don't, <laughs> right. do you I think my, my life changed? Like, do you think my life changed from a billion to half a billion? Like, is it really, yeah. like after, after a certain amount of money, how much more is your life really changed? Like after your first 10 million, seriously, after your first 10 yeah. million, other than not getting, I need to own my my personal jet, seriously, how much more does your life change from 10 to 50? From fifty to hundred, how much more do you need? Right. As a as as a human being, you know, I want to make as much money as I can to make as much impact as I can. The more money I have, the more impact I can. If right. I had if I had a lot of money right now, if I had millions of dollars, the amount of damage I could do and a good good <laughs> amount of damage I could do would be invaluable. And right. one thing I do want to do, and I hope someone picks up this idea, do you know you know John Oliver the uh, the Hulk Oh, of guy, course, yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. I love John Oliver. There was one episode that he was talking about um, medical debt, mm-hmm. medical. And they paid debt. off.
0: And,
1: yeah. So they bought medical. They wanted to show how easy it was. to You and I could start buying medical debt tomorrow. Wow. And then, so we could buy medical debt, pennies on the dollar. So they bought 13 million, I think $13 million worth of debt, a medical debt for 60 grand. Okay. For 60 grand, he bought it. Then. Arguably, what you would do is then you would have a bunch of collectors that go out and try to collect the full price, and that's how you make your profit. Right. Well, he forgave, he forgave $13 million in debt. So I was like, if I had a million or two extra, I would buy hundreds of millions of dollars worth of, of medical debt, and I would just forgive it. And yeah. that, that's going to be my charity when I get up there. I'm like, I really want that. how. Huh, how much impact can you make on someone's lives? Imagine if you owed $100,000 in debt and it's gone. And right. it's medical debt. It's not credit cards. It's not that I went to casinos. It's medical debt. Right. I'm just saying. Just throwing I want to understand. I apologize. <laughs> well,
0: <laughs> Alex, let's, uh, we'll wrap it up. Where can people follow you on your social media platforms, websites, et cetera, just so we can end with that?
1: Yeah. Um, so if you want to f- follow what I do, IndieFilmHustle.com is the best hub to get to that. Um, if you want to pick up the book, uh, you can pick the book, The Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, you can pick that up at FilmBizBook.com. That's FilmBizBook.com. Um, if you want to go to the website of uh, FilmTrepreneur.com or FilmmakingBusiness.com, it takes you to filmpreneur, if that's easier. Uh, there there's podcast, uh, YouTube channel, and so on. Uh, if you're a screenwriter, bulletproofscreenwriting.tv takes you to all the stuff uh, that we do with screenwriting. We have a podcast there, I think the number two or three podcasts now on, on screenwriting as well. Uh, and Film Entrepreneur jumped to like the top five as well um, re, uh, within when I launched it, which was excellent. And uh, IFHTV, uh, so you can go to ifhtv.com and uh, for Shooting for the Mob, you can go to mob.com. And uh, on on social media at indie film hustle pretty much everywhere except for Instagram which is like, I film hustle but I'm not hard to find I'm not hard to I've got plenty Alex is around
0: let's just say that
1: <laughs> I'm I'm around uh, if you type in my name or indie film hustle you'll you'll find me I'm 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 a little <laughs> bit I I do, I do some work I, I get out there but uh, but yeah I again and, and I hope just my the work that I do every day brings value and helps filmmakers and creators. On their path. So I, I really hope it does.
0: Well, Alex, thanks for coming on again. Um, I'm so excited about the book. I'm excited about watching the movie, and I'm excited about delving into IFH uh, TV. That sounds really awesome. So
1: uh, thank, you, thank you again for having me on so quickly, too. I guess I have the record for the fastest turnaround.
0: <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> you very well might even in the first iteration of the podcast I think you do guys
1: by the way thank you for the good work you're doing man with the podcast and what you're doing with your platform helping filmmakers out too so we all, we're all we all in it together man so I really do appreciate that you're putting out the energy to do it as well man so thank it's, you
0: it's a tiny little inch of the ruler that you do but um, I do enjoy right. our talks I do enjoy having yeah. you on and, uh, I'm always, I always leave our, uh, talks, uh, excited for the future. So, um, guys, next week. Next week. yeah, yeah. Next week. Yeah. next <laughs> week. Um, guys, uh, check out Alex's book, check out, um, all of the things that we talked about, all the show, all the, the links will be in the show notes. So you'll just be a click away and, uh, I hope, uh, Alex, I hope you have a great holiday season. Looking forward to talking with you in 2020, man.
1: Thank you so much, brother. I truly appreciate it. Thanks again, man.
0: All right, guys. Have a great week. Hey, guys, just want to remind you that not only can you find the Full Frame podcast on HMD's website, www.hmdfilms.com, but you can find us on Facebook and, most importantly, you can find us on iTunes, where we would really like if you could leave a review and subscribe. Thanks. Have a great week.